Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. This week, I'm turning to Scripture for some insight into a topic that's tragically relevant for all of us right now, and that's war. Russia's brutal attack on the people of Ukraine is more than a military campaign. It's a growing assault on the civilian population of the country, men, women, and children. Not only are the people of Ukraine suffering, the young men of Russia are also being used as cannon fodder, fighting a war that most don't believe in. Draft-age men are fleeing the country by the hundreds of thousands, and people of both countries are suffering economic hardship because of the costly war and loss of production. As the war drags on, for the most part, unsuccessfully for the Russians, President Vladimir Putin is growing more desperate and has begun rattling the nuclear saber. Not since the Cuban Missile Crisis when John F. Kennedy faced down Khrushchev over installing nuclear weapons in our island neighbor have public figures seriously talked about unleashing Armageddon. Even mentioning nuclear weapons has been taboo. Although wars in many places around the world are something that we've grown used to, this is different. We're looking at a conflagration that could essentially end civilized life on Earth as we know it. That's assuming that there is such a thing as civilized life on Earth. Thousands of years before the existence of weapons of mass destruction, when soldiers hacked each other to death with swords, people worried about the end of the world. The word Armageddon is a reference from the book of Revelation about where the final battle that precedes the end of the world would occur. While the end of time has not been ushered in, there have been many occasions through history when many civilizations, including that of Israel, have been destroyed. It was the end of their world. Jesus and his disciples live in a troubling age. They anxiously ask if they might be facing the end. In Matthew 24, we read, When Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when this will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Jesus answered them, Beware that no one leads you astray. For one ain't many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Here ends the reason, reading. This is a pretty pessimistic outlook on history. There will be wars and rumors of wars, and nations will take up against other nations, and to top it all off, there will be famines and earthquakes. That's pessimistic, but it's a pretty accurate description of what we're experiencing in the 20th century, plus throw in pandemics 
The good news, maybe, is that these things don't mean the world is coming to an end. These horrible events are just the way the world works. The message for us is how to figure out how to live in the meantime, how to survive and thrive and be happy. In our current situation, how do we address the dire threat posed by a nation led by a monster when a time when diplomacy among nations is sorely lacking? Now we have to proceed with trepidation when we turn to Scripture for guidance on war. The Bible, the Old Testament in particular, is certainly not war-averse. The history of the origin of Israel drips with the blood of war and genocide. No story is more blood-soaked than the destruction of the city of Jericho as the Israelites fought to enter the Promised Land. Listen to this reading from the book of Joshua. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn and marched around the city of Jericho in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. Then they devoted to the destruction by the edge of the sword all in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, oxen sheep, and donkeys. Here ends the reading. Let me point out that this attack was not only sanctioned, but ordered by God. This was not only war, it was God-sanctioned genocide. Now it gives us pause to imagine what that slaughter was really like. Although this is an ancient battle, those were real innocents who were put to the sword. It's troubling to ascribe this event to the will of God. It's always hazardous to look at the past through the lens of the present. That advantage of acknowledging the brutality of our past is helping us to act more humanely in the future. The prophets of Israel looked forward to that future of peace. Micah writes, The Lord shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one of them shall be afraid. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, what did Jesus think about war? First off, nowhere in the Gospels 
does Jesus advocate war? The most direct thing that Jesus says about using physical violence occurs when an armed mob comes to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. We read in Matthew, Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand on the sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Unfortunately, other than general teachings about love and forgiving our enemies, Jesus doesn't speak directly to the legitimacy of war. That despite the fact that Jesus lived in turbulent times, and many of the people with whom he would have associated were in favor of taking up arms against the Roman overlords to drive them out. It's supposed by some biblical scholars that Judas betrayed Jesus in order to goad him into action to start a revolution. From Jesus' peaceful submission to his arrest and execution, we can assume that we would today consider him a nonviolent resistor and pacifist. After the death of Jesus, Christians would face a violent future. While some sought martyrdom instead of resorting to violence, by the Middle Ages, Christians engaged in warfare to survive and in some cases expand their influence. To add more certainty to the Christian moral responsibility in waging war, the Church eventually developed what has come to be known as just war theory. In the 4th century, St. Augustine of Hippo wrote down some of the first Christian views of just war. While individuals should seek to avoid violence, God has given governments the authority to use the sword, said Augustine. He cites Romans, which says, Authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoers. He says, They have waged war in obedience to the divine command, or in conformity with his laws, have represented in their persons the public justice or the wisdom of government, and in this capacity have put to death wicked men. Such persons have by no means violated the commandment, Thou shalt not kill. But say they, the wise man will wage just wars, as if he would not all the rather lament the necessity of just wars if he remembers that he is a free man. For if they were not just, he would not wage them, and would therefore be delivered from all wars. In short, Augustine thinks that participating war is at times a necessary evil. Modern church doctrine has further codified the justification for war the war, uh, just war doctrine of the Catholic Church, found in the 1992 Catechism of the Catholic Church, lists four strict conditions for legitimate defense of military force. Number one, the damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community of nations must be lasting, 
grave, and certain. 2. All other means of putting an end to it must have been shown to be impractical or ineffective. 3. There must be serious prospects of success. And 4. The use of arms must not produce evils and disorders graver than the evil to be eliminated. Let's apply these criteria for a just war to the case of Russia's attack on Ukraine. Are Ukraine and her allies justifying, justified in using deadly force in return against Russia? It only takes a quick glance at a news report to see that the damage inflicted by Russian artillery and rockets is lasting, grave, and certain. Civilian targets such as schools, hospitals, and vital infrastructure have resulted in widespread destruction and civilian death. Were the bombardments to cease today, it would take years and billions of dollars to begin to rebuild Ukraine to what it was. The level of destruction is certain. With regards to the second criterion, Ukraine has shown willingness to negotiate a peace to no avail. The United States has led an effort to pressure Russia through economic sanctions and seizing the assets of Russia around the world. These sanctions have seriously hurt Russian business interests. The NATO nations have expressed solidarity with Ukraine and pledged their support. Instead of weakening NATO, one of Russia's primary goals, the war has strengthened the alliance and led to its expansion. Putin seems to respond only to military force or total submission to his demands. Third, there is a serious prospect of success in Ukraine's counterattack. After the initial assault and the Russian armed invasion, the Ukrainian army has regained much of the territory that it lost at first. The Russian expectation that Ukraine would immediately roll over in defeat did not materialize. The supply of weapons and high-tech missiles has rendered much of the Russian army ineffective. Meanwhile, the morale of Ukrainian fighters seems high, while the Russian invaders seem demoralized. Now, the final criterion for just war is that the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders graver than the evil to be eliminated. Any use of arms, no matter how justified, produce tragic results. Lives are lost and property is destroyed. We should not also not forget the moral and spiritual wounds that are being suffered by the Ukrainians who are forced to fight. After the war is over, they will need to come to terms with their consciences, even though their cause is just. However, it's hard to imagine how anything that the Ukrainians could do can produce greater evil and disorder, graver than the evil being perpetrated by the Russian military. The self-defensive military response, as in all wars, 
is simply the lesser of two evils. The taking up of arms by Ukraine against Russia is, therefore, justified in the eyes of just war doctrine. That would also mean that the United States and military allies are also justified and obliged to support Ukraine through economic support and the supplying of arms. Diplomatic solutions need to be constantly sought, and everything in our power should be done to discourage the escalation of this regional war to a global conflict involving nuclear weapons. Inciting Armageddon is not justified. As Jesus predicted, there are wars and rumors of wars even 2,000 years after he made that prediction. Yet, the end has not come. We tragically must participate in those wars, but that participation must always be in the pursuit of peace. Union General William Tecumseh Sherman, a renowned strategist who was criticized for a scorched-earth policy against the Confederate States, is credited with the statement, War is hell. It certainly is. War is a hell of humanity's own making. In the context of the Civil War, Julia Ward Howe penned the words of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. The song is based on the prophet Isaiah's image of God trampling on people at the final judgment. In it we sing, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Let us be sure that whenever we loose the terrible lightning of artillery and missiles, that we do it with the purpose of marching forward in God's truth. And let us pray that we will see the day when Micah's prophecy is fulfilled and we beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and that nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall we learn war any more. But we shall all sit under our own vines and under our own fig trees and no one of us and no one shall make us afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God look upon you with favor. And may God's truth go marching on.